Good afternoon. You're very welcome to join us today for this EA debate. Today we're discussing the importance of connectivity during and after the COVID-19 crisis. Now, obviously, this goes without saying. We saw a huge surge in activity online. Indeed, that is why Euractiv brings you these wonderful online events so regularly nowadays. The pandemic, of course, saw a surge in a requirement, not just for online tools and services, but also for very high capacity networks. So we're going to see a little bit about how that will play out in the future, what the likely demands are going to be. The OECD, for example, reported that since the start of the crisis, the demand for communication services have soared and some operators are experiencing as much as a 60% increase in demand. So that is something we all need to bear in mind because delivering that sort of capacity doesn't come easily. It's difficult to ramp these things up overnight, but we have learned from the pandemic that there is a great deal of ability out there when there is the necessity to deliver. So with that, I'm going to tell you we've got a, a great panel for you to this afternoon. We've got representatives from the European Parliament, the European Commission and industry as well as academia. So let me introduce to you Rita Wesenbeek, who is Director of Connectivity in DG Connect at the European Commission. Peter Stuckman is Head of Unit for the Future Connectivity Systems, also at DG Connect. Josiane Kotayer is an MEP and member of the ITRA Committee in the European Parliament. Ben Werchner is the Chief Economist and Head of Public Affairs at the Vodafone Group and also wears the hat within the GSMA as a Policy Group Chair. Karma Colombina is the Research Fellow on the European Union on Disinformation and Global Politics at the Barcelona Centre for International Affairs and Visiting Professor at the College of Europe in Bruges. And last but not least, Daniel Pataki is the Vice President, Policy and Regulation and Head of Europe of the GSMA, the Telecoms Operators Association. So thank you all very much for being here. We want to talk to you about what is necessary. How can we deliver the sorts of connectivity we want to see throughout Europe? So let me start, Rita, with you. Let me give you the floor and hear what we've learned from the pandemic and what we have got yet to learn. Yes, thank you very much, Jennifer, and thank you for your active for inviting me to take part in this uh, panel. So I understood we need to be short and I'll try to meet that uh, the challenge. So thank you already for underlining the importance of connectivity in the context of the COVID pandemic. So um, I would like to touch upon a little bit the broader framework, which is for us the digital decade compass and policy program of connectivity. Uh, also, uh, the importance of connectivity in this context, a bit on where we are and a bit on what is necessary. So. Uh, to just start by the digital decade uh, compass. I mean, this is basically the broader vision of the commission of what is necessary after the COVID pandemic to make sure that uh, Europe will continue to deliver to its citizens um, the welfare prosperity that we all expected to deliver also on the basis of the digital transition. So this digital decade compass was launched by the commission in March. And it has been followed up by a policy program that we call Path to the Digital Decade that was announced by our president, uh, Mrs. von der Leyen, on the 15th of September. The essence of it is there's a vision, uh, which is that we want a society that works for people also on the basis of digital technologies. And we want this digital transition to take place on the basis of European values. This means we need to own our own technologies or be an equal partner at global level. 
So you could call that digital sovereignty. Uh, we have formulated that vision also on the basis of specific targets for skills, infrastructure, and public services and businesses. And we have, with this policy program, introduced a governance system on the basis of which the member states will work together also with the European institutions to reach the targets. And also, very importantly, we make proposals with respect to ways of concretely cooperating between member states um, by what we call multi-country projects. So this is the, the wider environment. Now, the place of connectivity. Connectivity, I should not further have to explain, that is a conditio sine qua non for this digital transition to take place and to deliver. And that is why we have said that we have targets for uh, connectivity in the sense of uh, we want gigabit connectivity for all households in 2030, and we want 5G connectivity for all populated areas. The program has been launched. There is already a debate on whether this is not ambitious enough or whether it may be too ambitious. The reason why we got there is that we feel that um, it is clear on the basis of trends we can already establish that uh, social economic drivers, as we call them, businesses, residential customers increasingly need gigabit connectivity for advanced video standards, virtual and augmented reality, artificial intelligence, and also companies need um, this kind of connectivity for their logistics, manufacturing, and also for industrial control and security. So this means that we actually need uh, um, download speeds of one gigabit, but probably also upload speeds of one gigabit or much more. And that in its turn means that we need to move to a progressive replacement, at least of copper, with at least fiber sections that will be essential to drive the significant performance gains that we are looking for. Now, where are we in the EU? Uh, you will see that if you look uh, the, at the slides that we have um, published concerning the digital decade, we have currently a very high capacity network coverage of 59%, which means that um, very high capacity network is not necessarily meaning gigabit connectivity. Uh, this means, therefore, that we still have uh, serious challenges. Uh, there's also reason to be relatively optimist. So uh, we see, for instance, in studies that this coverage is likely to rise to 55%, sorry, for fiber networks, for 55% by end of 21 and 81% in 2025. So um, we are on the, on the right way, but there's still a lot to be done. Uh, two areas where we can do a lot. Uh, first, funding. Uh, we can elaborate on that in the discussion, but of course the RRF, the um, Resilience and uh, Recovery Fund, plays an enormous role, especially by its sections on digital. There's also the CEF program by the Commission, which is specifically aimed at um, uh, subsidizing 5G corridors, cloud federation, quantum communication, and also 5G communities. And so apart from the funding, um, what is also necessary is a good mix of policy and public and private financing. So this is why we say from the regulatory perspective that uh, we need to target regula regulation only where it's absolutely necessary. We feel that competition remains key and that also um, we need to allow cooperation where this is possible and where it is not uh, uh, unnecessarily reducing competition. Finally, also on the regulatory uh, level, 
we are focusing a lot on measures to accelerate deployment, for instance, through our connectivity toolbox and the uh, broadband cost reduction directive. So these, I think, are a, a few elements to inject in the discussion, and I would propose to leave it at this for now. Thank you very much indeed. We'll probably come back to talk on a lot of those instruments as well as touching on some of the financial incentives that are out there as well. But Peter, let me turn to you. Um, obviously, you're still within DJ Connect, but give me your slightly different perspective on the technical side of this. Yes, thanks a lot. So, of course, uh, not, not different. Of course, I will just be complimentary and uh, add some thoughts. Um, on the 5G side, uh, of course, uh, the challenge is, uh, is particular because we are, of course, now in, in a very dynamic environment. Since two years, uh, the, the deployment has started. We see that um, most uh, member states have launched um, uh, the commercial services. So now really it's a challenge to, uh, to get into the widespread deployment. And we have the target of full 5G, as Rita mentioned. So then, of course, we have to be careful with what we uh, call 5G. There's a lot of debate where Europe stands. We have the 5G observatory. There will be also a, a, a workshop in, um, in November, which I recommend everyone to follow if you're interested into the details of the 5G um, developments, 18th of November. But what you see also on the platform, 5Gobservatory.eu, um, you can see that um, we're not so badly placed when you compare to other regions. Um, so the deployment has started and also we see uh, in terms of um, coverage, it's picking up. Um, we see that in uh, number of base stations, if you count these base stations, you can see that we have actually more base stations equipped than the US. Often the debate US is much further advanced, that's not the case. But then we have to look what kind of 5G is it. So in this case, often it's uh, so-called dynamic spectrum sharing. That means you use the 4G bands to provide 5G. And there, of course, we have see one of the challenges we have in Europe, that we're still only at 50% of spectrum assignments in 5G. So there, that will be one of the big challenges, of course, to advance on that um, with the member states in the next few years, to identify further bands, also in view of uh, the next uh, releases of 5G, maybe even looking to 6G. So that's on the deployment side. And then uh, we also have to see that it's not only about the coverage or the number of base stations, it's also about local deployment. So it's really new services for industry, um, particular uh, private networks, uh, 5G corridors along the transport paths. So here really the challenge is to work with the stakeholders like, like ecosystem by ecosystem, uh, using also the funding instruments that Rita mentioned and uh, really um, uh, engage these, these new ecosystems in Europe. So this will be also uh, of key importance. So there we are on a good track. We have, I think compared to the other world regions, we are uh, top. So if we have the 5G PPP, now the new partnership coming, um, where if you leverage it, it's around, it's at least 1 billion that, that is going into this uh, trial and pilots, which is really uh, a top if you compare it. So here, of course, we have the opportunities in Europe with our uh, industrial sectors um, where we can really use the, our strengths. So this will be the other side to, to be developed in the next years. Thank you. Um, Jasan Kutaya, let me ask you, because as a member of the ITRA committee, you're focusing on these issues as well. There is an aim for the EU's digital decade to get every household to have access to high-speed broadband and internet coverage by 2025. 
We've heard some of these promises before. I'm old enough to remember Neely Crowes saying that every European would be digital by 2020. Um, what more do we need to do? Where are the gaps and, and what is your vision for the future? Yes, uh, thank you, Jennifer, and thanks to the colleagues from the European Commission who give, gave a head start to uh, about the important path to the digital decade, which we'll be working upon in the EU institutions. And indeed, whilst promises may have been there in the past, and uh, as politicians, we need to see that we keep up our promises and targets. This time around, I believe there's something much more concrete because the Commission has just issued a proposal on the policy programme on the European path to the digital decade, which from the Parliament side will be working upon it too. And I've been appointed shadow reporter for the Socialists and Democrats. And this would be concrete in the sense that it would work. We would work with member states to have programs, to have targets in place, to see to it that concrete 2030 digital targets are indeed implemented. We'll have to see also the monitoring side aspect, which is already being planned, and therefore this is an important aspect. It's good to have policies in mind, to have targets in mind, but then we have to have a concrete, effective program on how to implement them. So this is a, is a head start on that. On the other side, I believe even the fact that, as was mentioned earlier on, and the topic of this debate recognizes the fact that the pandemic has really helped us into digitalizing more and pushed us to digitalize more, has, has, has served as an urgent reminder that we really need to be effective, that we really need to deliver on targets, that we really need to deliver on results. And I would like here to state the important aspect that sometimes we tend to compare ourselves to other countries and continents. Indeed, the EU is trying to be a leader and it has got its own positive aspects, which it could have more potential and work on its more potential in this regard. But for sure, let's remember that uh, we shouldn't stop at comparing, but rather go a further positive step in, in the positive direction that we'll see to it that when we speak of connectivity, we think of how that connectivity could benefit actually our businesses, our citizens, our households. Rita was also mentioning targets relating to households, etc. And it is very important that through the digital decade, which we will be working upon, we really focus to leave no one behind and no one behind when it comes to the different households, the different regions, the populated areas, as was mentioned, including the peripheral and remote areas, which at the moment, are, some of them are not well connected or may not have the connectivity there. And this is indeed very much important, that it's important to focus on workers, the diverse workers and the citizens in general that have this connectivity. The SMEs, we cannot forget. SMEs tend to not sometimes digitalize as much as larger businesses do and therefore we have to help them. So let's speak of connectivity and the infrastructure, but let's also focus on the importance of leaving no one behind to provide adequate connectivity, but also the skills required. We don't want a situation when, where we'll have the, a Tesla, for example, a Tesla car, but no, drive, no authorized driver to, to drive it. 
Well, thank you for that. That's a quite a nice analogy. And I'm sure we'll come back to touch on those questions of SMEs. And of course, SMEs may also have the advantage of being agile to be digital, but we will talk about that in due course. I'm going to turn now, Ben, to you. Um, connectivity is at the heart of what you do. So tell me a bit about how you view what we may have learned or what we may need going forward out of the COVID crisis. Yes, thank you, Jennifer. So, I mean, I think we all can violently agree that what we've learned is the indispensable nature of connectivity through the crisis just today, but for the last, it feels like a lifetime, but maybe it's only 18 months or so, you know, we've depended on connectivity to get us through our, our daily lives, our work, our social lives, and, and indeed how we, we shop in most cases. So we, we, we have become an, an indispensable part of how, how we function. Um, and that's really been nailed home by the, by the crisis. So then when we look forward, as what we've learned, I think just echoing what Josiane, I, I probably pronounced the name incorrectly, just said, you know, really we, we are focused also on leaving no one behind um, and having a plan going forward, which, which makes sure all the regions, all, all the businesses, SME, Soho's especially, um, and, and public administration can benefit from this digitalization path that we are on. Um, but really with infrastructure at the heart of that, um, the question is, how do we get there? Um, and, it, you know, there's been already a discussion now today on we have the targets. I think that's good. So we have clear targets where we want to get to by, by 2030. Um, we also have funding, um, which um, I think is especially on the mobile side, the first first time we have real public money going into, into mobile infrastructure or potentially going into mobile infrastructure. But but what, what concerns me is two things. Firstly, we, we commissioned some research from Deloitte um, earlier in the year looking at the national um, funds and also the, the European Recovery and Resilience Facility. And we still see a huge gap between the, the investment gap to meet the connectivity targets and what is actually in those plans. And it's, it's in the order of um, 100 or so billion euros still as a gap. So the question is, how do we bridge that gap? And what, the only way to bridge that is with a fundamental change to how the, how the sector um, is policed or, or regulated. Um, and and having, having targets and having even mandated targets with monitoring of those targets is fine as long as there is the policy program in place um, to ensure that, that is a possibility. Um, and to put it in perspective, uh, Jennifer, you said at the, at the beginning, 60% traffic increase um, from the OECD. On our networks, it's, it's in our accounts. Um, on the mobile networks, just in the, in the last, in the first year of the pandemic, there was 44% growth um, of traffic on our network, which to, to many people think, well, that must be fantastic. You must be so wealthy now because there's 44% increase in demand. But at the same time, there was a 4% drop in service revenue. So, the, you know, the market is, for us, is not delivering the, the ability to, um, to, to grow our revenues at a time where traffic growth is growing enormously. And remember, this is mobile traffic growth when people are still stuck at home. Um, so the question is, how do we make sure that this can change in the future? Because we cannot continue to have an increasing traffic in our network, but yet no, no increase in the revenue. And for me, that, that's two simple things. One is we have to ensure every euro invested goes as far as possible. So we have to remove as much of the duplicate infrastructure um, as possible. Um, and the same thing is we have to have a, you know, an honest debate about spectrum policy, where in the past, Spectrum has been used heavily to, to extract value from the industry, to, to generate huge payments for society. Now we need to really make sure that Spectrum is used to, to create the value and ensure that every, every area in Europe has the connectivity it needs. And th this is the crucial part. Every, every area needs to have it because the business case um, in rural is not just about us as mobile operators or, or um, telecoms operators and infrastructure. You know, the, the government has a great, a great business case for investing in rural areas. It helps with the, the, you know, keeping the cohesiveness of the country together, giving people opportunities wherever they live, and also helps with the decarbonisation of our society. So we have to think about how to invest in those rural areas, not just from an operator perspective, 
but from an operator plus government perspective, which is why the state aid guidelines are going to be so important in this regard. So just to summarise, we, we, you know, we, we're very um, happy that there is a real now drive to hit those um, targets, to have really ambitious targets for connectivity. But we have to be honest about the gaps that exist and how we need to bridge those gaps to make sure that we actually deliver on those targets um, you know, on time uh, and for the benefit of all European citizens. Well, thank you, Ben. You've touched on a lot of things that I've been noting down, so we will possibly come back around to talking about spectrum auctions, state aid, and so on. But, Carmen, let me turn to you now and ask, what's your perspective? What have you been working on that you want to let us know about to set the framework for our discussion? Well, thank you very much, first of all, for, for having me. And in fact, I'm, I'm very much, or I agree a lot with everything that has been said, that I think we are uh, facing this double challenge, that it has a lot to do with infrastructure, but also with the fairness of all these digitization process. Because what we have really witnessing during the pandemic is, is a, a, a widening of the asymmetries and a new awareness of, of the vulnerabilities that we have as a society. So I think that it's important to have all this accountability process and all these measures to see where we are heading, but also it's very important to, to keep uh, taking care on, on the fairness of this process because um, connectivity is, is crucial, but the quality of connectivity, uh, as it has been said, it, it's even more important because at the end of the day, the, the European Union is ahead on, on the connectivity uh, of, of its population. So it's more than 90% of households in the European Union have access to internet. But of course, what kind of access? So I can take the, the Spanish example. Um, so there is 90% of 91% of, of, of connectivity to internet in, in every household. But of course, um, the half of it is with smartphones and not like Tops. So in those houses where the um, net income per month is less than 900 euros, which is the minimum wage in Spain, more than 60%, uh, they only have smartphones and not laptops, which is a problem, of course, for, for uh, homeschooling or, or working also from, from home. So I think that that's very important to take into account. That for me would be the first asymmetry to take into account. Then there is another one. In this acceleration process of the pandemic, I think we have really seen emerging a, a third way of, of technological development uh, in the European Union, which is regulation how to set the tone for this uh, technological transformation. And here is another Achilles heel for the European Union, which is, can the European Union lead on uh, regulation without leading on innovation? And that's the big question also. So we are witnessing how we are setting the rules for some sort of global governance, if we can talk about this, because there are really very different approaches to, to technology and to internet, uh, of course. But of course, there is this technological challenge. And so far, there is also a bigger asymmetry on that point. So if we take um, data from uh, United Nations, for instance, 70%, 75% of the patents in blockchain technology 
are from the US and China. So at the end of the day, there is a lot to do also in this sense. So there is the asymmetry of trade compared to the asymmetry of, of um, technological power for the European Union that has to be also taken into account. So I think that these are very two different uh, approaches, the fairness and the process, but I think that two of them are, are crucial when we are facing how are we going to go on in this technological development at the European Union. Thank you. Now, Daniel, you're representing the GSMA and what is interesting, I mean, this is mobile. So as Ben said, that they even discovered a surge of 44%, even while people were stuck at home. So the pandemic really has made a huge impact. What's, uh, what's your position on how do we leverage that impact to provide better connectivity in the future? Thanks a lot, Jennifer. And, and uh, thanks a lot for bringing up Nelly Cruz. I think our history even goes back to Reading uh, for these debates. So um, just I have, uh, I'll, be, I'll try to be short as well. So I have a good news. I think I, I would echo what everybody has said that the industry we are working on is basically became from important to essential. So that's really a good news because as, as um, we are trying to convince policymakers around the world to change uh, policies and regulation. A couple of years ago, it was still an important point for us to try to convince policymakers that digital is key. I think this is no longer the case. The bad news, however, is um, is, is in Europe, we see in GSMA that, that this is somehow taken for granted. So this will really happen without, without big changes. And um, as many other people said that COVID taught us that um, it's all about change, but I would like to mention three things what I think hasn't changed. Some of them is positive and maybe some of them are negative. So the first thing we, we think that hasn't changed is, is the question about how Europe stands with other regions. Um, Peter has maybe some other statistics. I don't want to go into details, but GSMA has the, it, our own, or we have our own um, uh, research the mobile economy reports globally and, and Europe and we see unfortunately that Europe still lags behind in um, in in in, um, in adoption of 5g and I fully agree with Peter that uh, unfortunately with the spectrum access as well so the megahertz per operators the second things which hasn't changed I think which is positive is Europe's ambition so I think it's really good in these calls that you know it's symbolic what sometimes what what someone has behind him or herself. So Rita had the, the flag behind her. So it's really good that Commission is taking the flag and you know the showing the way. It's also symbolic that Peter has the helmet because this is going to be a rough ride. And maybe it's also symbolic that Ben has Berlamon because I think there's a lot of issues has to be decided there. Of course, Karma has the books, so we have to have, you know, it has to be analyzed thoroughly. And and maybe Josiane has the curtains, so you know we have to look behind that. But be more seriously. So the th third thing which has not changed is basically the uh, the ask for the industry that we need uh, we need to fix policy. So when Vita was thinking about funding, we really would like uh, that that policy should change. If just one more last piece, and then I think we can discuss it further. When uh, in 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 these discussions, you would talk to analysts. They would say that the lagging behind of Europe has mainly two reasons. One is fragmentation, so that the number of players in Europe, and the second one is regulation. And in regulation mainly, 
one of the issues, as, as Ben has pointed out, the spectrum policies. And the second one, was Rita mentioned, and we are fully behind it, is the deployment tools. So I would stop there, and maybe we can have a discussion on some of these. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Daniel. And let me say to our audience, because I know there's some of you already writing questions in, that we are very happy to have your questions. Use the chat function there. If you're directing them at a particular individual, please do say so and try to keep them concise so we can get through as many as possible. We've got about another three quarters of an hour, but we have got six panelists, all with great ideas that they want to share. And Josanne, I know you wanted to raise at the beginning before we get into some more nitty gritty of the issue of innovation. Yes, indeed, uh, Carmen um, referred to it, and it's indeed a very valid point. And may I start from the fact that to have a fair transition when it comes to connectivity, it's important that we'll have the democratization of assets, because it's uh, we won't get there if we don't have the democratization of assets and if we don't have everyone on board. So that's an important point worth, worth um, emphasizing a bit. And then when, it, when we speak of research and innovation, yes, it's key. We need to come together in partnerships, collaborate more if we really want to get there. And if we want to also address fragmentation, which Daniel has correctly mentioned. And indeed, I believe that um, the new um, uh, joint undertaking under the um, under the Horizon Europe, when it comes to public-private partnerships that are possible under Horizon Europe, the smart networks and services joint undertaking is indeed an important JU to mention here. And I believe it could help Europe a lot when it comes to the importance of ensuring adequate connectivity in line also with our values and with putting certain concerns uh, the, 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 the putting our minds at rest with regards to certain concerns such as cybersecurity when it comes to enhancing 5G deployment, when it comes to starting preparing even for 6G. So this joint undertaking could be key and there is money allocated to it under the Horizon Europe, which could really help. And therefore, yes, indeed, we have the willingness, which is there. We have the urgency brought by the pandemic and the eye opener, which is there too. We have funds under DMFF and RRF and also under Horizon Europe and other programs. And therefore, we need now to make sure that with also the policy program that we'll be working upon within the institutions relating to the European digital de decades, we'll, we have no excuse not to make it this time round. Thank you, Josanne. Well, you've raised the Horizon Europe uh, project, um, and I know earlier on uh, that Rita was mentioning, of course, the CEF and the Recovery Fund. Ben, you, in your introduction, mentioned that there's a need to do away with duplication of infrastructure situations. Is that more necessary than direct funding through these various instruments, or where do you think we should be spending money, or is it just about streamlining? So, so it, difficult question, is it more necessary? Than, I mean, both are necessary, I mean, the reality is. Um, now, from our perspective, as a, I don't think this would be a surprise to anyone, we always prioritise private investment over public investment, and that is what we'd like to see going forward. So, as I said, the first, the first um, priority should be to ensure that every euro invested by, the private, invest, by private investors like ourselves goes as far as possible. Um, and we've recognised a long time ago that you know, the, the level of duplicate infrastructure is not sustainable 
we've moved into network sharing um, with, with in, in many of our uh, member states where we operate um, and also we see um, the need for, for, for market consolidation where, where appropriate in order to ensure that, as I said, that, that the money invested by the operator community goes as far as possible. But also we recognise that this, this will not get us to, to the end of the road uh, uh, in terms of meeting the targets. So when, when we look at some of the rural connectivity that we, we'd like to put in place, and when we're currently in discussions with, with governments like in Spain, um, where, they're, where they're looking at the extent to which the subsidies from the recovery and resilience facility can be used in a rural area, we're, we're looking at huge levels of subsidisation um, being considered with operators sharing a rural network. And even then, we struggle to make the business case. And this, this is what I said earlier, where that the business case for rural connectivity is no longer an operator-driven business case. It is about the benefits to society, the externalities that are generated from that rural connectivity, where the, the, the benefit first and foremost goes, goes to government, not to, to operators. Um, that, that is how the business case needs to, needs to be looked at. And um, because we look at it and the, the additional traffic or the additional um, revenue generated from these very difficult places to reach um, just doesn't make the, the case sustainable um, in the short, medium or long term. And that's when Rita said at the beginning, like there's there's good progress being made on the targets. You get from 50 percent, I think it was to 80 percent by 2025, which is good. But the last 10 percent, the last 5 percent is where the real challenge is. And what the pandemic has taught us is that last 5 percent is absolutely critical because you cannot leave the, that, that 5 percent or 10 percent behind. And that's where new approaches are necessary to really drive the combination of private and public investment to ensure that, that Europe gets the, the infrastructure that, that it requires. Well, Rita, I see you nodding along with that. So I wanted to bring you in on this question anyway about whether funds can be better directed. I mean, a lot of the bottlenecks I think Ben is speaking about actually happen at a member state level or a national or even regional and local levels. I mean, what can EU funds do to ease the passage of, of these bottlenecks? Yes, well, <clears throat> I think that until now I've, I've heard a lot of uh, areas and issues where I think we all agree. So in that sense, uh, it risks becoming an uninteresting discussion this afternoon. But um, the, I would fully agree with what Ben was saying, that uh, we need to prioritize private investment over public investment, and that also public investment becomes re uh, relevant when you talk about the last uh, 10%, where it's very difficult to make the business case. But I do think that, uh, of course, um, I mean, we're still discussing now the broadband guidelines, and, and uh, uh, I would fully subscribe to the need to have a balanced outcome there. But um, for these last difficult areas, we have models that can be used. And uh, I would say certainly network sharing, as mentioned for Spain, can be a very good model for um, these difficult areas. Um, and also wholesale-only models can, can maybe help uh, to make the business case. Now, um, <clears throat> of course, we have regulatory tools, uh, investment and uh, state aid tools to, to stimulate that. But I think we are, uh, let's say, on the fundamentals, we are on the same page. And of course, uh, there may be a case-by-case -case assessment necessary on uh, what should be the outcome. But, uh, but essentially, um, we feel that, um, I mean, these tools, co-investment, wholesale only, uh, network sharing, may be very suitable uh, to help uh, covering also this last mile of uh, what we want in terms of connectivity. Hi, thank you very much. In fact, I'm just noticing that a question had come in from an audience member, Carl Gerhard Lille from the Estonian MFA, asking very much specifically about that sort of question to you, Rita and Peter. 
How can democracies work together better to improve connectivity in developed and developing countries alike? And do we need a unifying framework to tie together the various connectivity initiatives? And what can the EU do? A sort of multi-part question there. But Peter, perhaps you might talk a bit about what the EU can do in terms of underlying frameworks. Yes, uh, thanks a lot. So that was also mentioned by uh, uh, Josiane, uh, the Smart Networks and Services Partnership, where we already start to to have uh, one common approach to um, R&D uh, deployment, where we, and and gets a really consistent approach to the different programs that we that we now launching. Also, um, the link from Connecting Europe facility to the Recovery Fund, for example, that's something that we're really trying to to do through multi-country projects that we can really work together on these big initiatives like 5G corridors, but also other areas than connectivity, of course, where we one member state can't invest alone, where we have to uh, do it together. Uh, and then, of course, um, when it also mentioned um, um, the, um, the global agenda um, there, indeed, I mean, we, we have been example, I think, a number of things, of course, ethical AI, uh, GDPR, and there also, uh, Josiane was mentioning the values behind it, the same applies for connectivity that we uh, indeed in this, uh, when we look now to 6G, that we want to develop uh, solutions uh, that are trusted and by that also have an advantage in Europe. Uh, and then um, the same applies to cybersecurity. Yeah, we have the 5G toolbox that is now, uh, of course, is implemented. There's no alternative to it. We, everyone has to do it because we need secure 5G for these critical services. But we took this risk-based approach in Europe, and I think the world looked at that. And um, many uh, member states, especially in developing countries, are uh, are looking at that with interest. And in, in that sense, I think we can really shape the agenda also on these um, on these um, in these areas. Thank you, Daniel. I want to get your ideas on this and your thoughts on this, and in how the EU can help, in particular in areas where maybe there are more member state competencies. For example, things like spectrum. Um, I, I was just noting down uh, how I could respond to Rita to sure. not not to be in in a brutal agreement, but unfortunately, maybe we are in agreement with uh, a little bit less on the agreement or on the assessment. And if, if there would be a CEO representing us here, he or she would be very or more, more critical and, and talking about that, that basically, you know, if you would compare, if I talked about analysts and if you would compare the US telco operators market cap in uh, 2012, it was the same as the European operators market cap. And basically by 2020, so in eight years, the European telcos has lost 57% of their market cap, while the Americans has gained 213%. So in Europe, there has been value destruction in this industry. So when we talk about, you know, these needs of investment and Ben talked about the gap, which is still missing, I think it's not only the last mile, but it's also, you know, how the, the big bulk of investment will be done. And there are, you know, two things when, when I say we are maybe less in agreement in, in other parts of the Commission, because the fragmentation comes on the competition policy changes, which is a long-standing uh, discussion, uh, how competition policy could involve in Europe uh, to tackle this fragmentation. And the second one, as you said yourself, Jennifer, on spectrum, 
of course, then uh, uh, DG Connect is is rightly pointing at the member states. So we have like a joint challenge about how the rules can be implemented in a way that 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 helps Europe and society. Give, as a follow up, give me your vision of what you would like to see change with the spectrum rules. Uh, you know, as you, we've, we've been discussing this in the context of 2021 and, and, and the world we're living in today and the demand. So, you know, a lot of rules have been revised, drawn up and, 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 and looked at for, for decades now. What needs to happen urgently before the end of this decade? Assignments has to take place. So I think that everybody agrees but that should be speeding up. The second, which is closer to our hearts, is basically that there shouldn't be extreme reserve prices so that, you know, it's, 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 it's the same old song that, you know, finance ministries and, 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 uh, and member states should understand that this is not to fill a budget gap because then they should rather think about the coverage because this is a trade-off. So the less you ask in front, or during the spectrum fees during the uh, the years, then uh, then more coverage you would have. The second one or the third one is uh, is basically sometimes some member states create some artificial scarcity to bring up the price. So we are fighting on that front as well. And also uh, some member states think that you know a vertical a set aside for a vertical is helpful. We think that that creates scarcity and that, you know, then the coverage will be also uh, problematic. And last, last not but least, some member states also think about that the state kind of intervention or a state-owned initiative is the solution. But we have seen, I have the opportunity to have the global cap as well. And then we have seen in Mexico, for instance, that, that these kind of initiatives will finally will all be about burning taxpayers' money. Well, uh, thank you very much. I don't think that uh, that's a vision any of us actually want to see. Uh, Karma, let me come to you and ask you about what do you think are the central demands, if you like, from a, from a societal point of view or a citizen's point of view about why this is essential? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, when I was listening to, to Daniel, I thought that one, that one thing that has really changed is the awareness of the urgency. After so many years, I think that now everyone knows that this is something that has to happen and it has to happen uh, really quickly because we need it. We are just falling behind. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that there is an opportunity for the European Union, in fact, for setting the, the tone of the, the regulatory framework as, as they have done already uh, with uh, how to deal with this information and, and social networks and, and technological platforms. There have been setting some sort of example for the relations for other countries, certainly for Latin America. And I think this is also an opportunity for uh, the European Union as a, as, a, um, as a regulatory leadership. And finally, from the societal point of view, I think that Still here we have this, this inequality of outcome, as, as the UN mentioned sometimes, even inside the European Union. And there is certainly a very different approach to technological transformation in societies if we compare, for instance, Estonia, that they were asking uh, already as, as how to go farther, and, and if we compare with southern countries. So um, I was 
just uh, participating on a debate on, on, on digital uh, challenges in, in Spain last Friday, and there was this poll for SMEs, and there was a clear majority of SMEs that they were mentioning that the first uh, concern they had with the digitalization process was that they didn't know how to find the resources, how to get the funds. That was the first. The second is that they didn't uh, really know what the rules were because they felt that the, the laws and, and the norms were changing so quickly that they didn't have time to adapt. So that's, that's a, a very clear um, challenge for, for still some SMEs in, in the European Union. And finally, I have another concern, and that's a bit different of what we are discussing, but I think I have a, still a concern on how are we explaining this technological transformation to society? Because for certain uh, layers of the society, they still see this technological transformation as a threat. For instance, for some jobs and for some um, labor environment transformations that they feel that they won't adapt. So I think there is also a need to build a bigger or a more inclusive discourse on the positive effects of this technological transformation, because it's not getting everywhere from my point of view. Thank you. I'm trying to draw here to the two strands together, the why and the how. Josanne, I think you want to add to what Karma was saying on the why and, and the importance for SMEs. Yes, indeed. It's important that we explain the concrete applications and the con concrete advantages of connectivity of 5G, because as said earlier on, we have this tendency sometimes of uh, uh, focusing on the physical aspect, which is important, but we cannot ignore the fact that we need to also address any concerns that there, there are, but also address and help the SMEs and citizens navigate through the opportunities and the practical applications that there are. And on this SME's point, it's indeed very much important. And I worked on the SME strategy at the European Parliament, and it's a known fact that SMEs suffer from the fact that they not they don't they have a knowledge gap and they don't have the adequate skills, resources, and time for training sometimes. And therefore, it's important that we will mobilize, for example, or deploy certain local advisors, advisors at the local level. This was also a suggestion I pushed forward in the SME strategy report of the European Parliament so that these advisors, professionals, could really help our SMEs navigate through the opportunities that there are, the funding that there is, because that's also a maze for our SMEs. The funding is there, but it's difficult for them to actually find it and apply for it sometimes, and they don't have the skills, adequate skills, as regards that aspect. And yes, this is an important point I, I really believe in. And when we speak of the concrete applications of connectivity of 5G, we have to explain to the public what this is all about. This is also about remote working, remote learning, it's also about remote medicine, or uh, even in areas, for example, where certain medical services, certain social services are not available, 5G connectivity and adequate connectivity could really help in providing these services to remote peripheral areas where the physical services 
are not uh, able to be provided. Otherwise, I wanted to pick up then on a point that, yes, regulatory leadership should be at the central of the EU strategy for digital leadership as we've led the way when it comes to data protection, GDPR, we could really lead the way here too. We're working in lead on uh, issues of social media, disinformation, Digital Services Act and the DMA. These are all important laws. And over here too, with this policy program related to the digital decade, I believe that we could really lead in this way, lead in the way of uh, regulation, which balances in a way that leaves space to innovation and investment, obviously, that's very much important, but in a way which respects values and principles. Thank you, Justin. You've opened a huge can of worms there that we don't have time to get into today. I'm certainly not going to be drawn into a discussion on GDPR in the space of the next half an hour. Um, however, I do want to come back to Ben and also to this question uh, of 5G frequency. And just we have Eddie R. Uh, Eddie R. Anonymous, uh, an audience member, saying that in Germany, the band uh, 3.7 to 3.8 gigahertz is reserved for industry use and the fees are calculated based on an agreed formula. Why could this not be extended to the whole of the EU? Uh, just a suggestion or a comment there from our audience member. But Ben, perhaps you could speak about the spectrum issue more generally. Sure. Well, it's, yes. So uh, our answer to why should it not be copied from Germany to the rest of Europe is we don't really agree with the set aside of spectrum for specific use cases. Um, so we, we'd rather what's happening in Europe was, was actually taking place in Germany on this topic, because yes, you, you can in this in, you know when you look at it in the micro level, you can make a business case for setting aside spectrum for industrial use, but the alternative use, which is across across an industry across an entire geographic footprint, is much more economically valuable. Um, and therefore, we, we believe that, that that set aside was in anticipation of a competition problem, which has, actually hadn't happened yet. So we, we are very happy to, to develop use cases for industrial applications and for private networks as and where appropriate. But to set aside an entire block of spectrum at the cost of creating spectrum, spectrum scarcity for the existing national operators was not the right policy choice. Um, so, so from our perspective, we'd rather what was done elsewhere in Europe was copied by Germany. But then more generally on, on, on Spectrum, um, Daniel listed a, a number of things which I think would be very beneficial in terms of Spectrum policy. The one that example we've seen recently, which we think is a very good um, benchmark is what's proposed in Spain, is where the new Spectrum has an, an automatic life of 20 years, but also an almost automatic rollover as long as we meet our obligations of an, an additional 20 years. So effectively a 40 year life for Spectrum. And we think very long life for Spectrum, in fact, perpetual licenses to give us much greater spectrum certainty, which in the end leads to greater investment capability, um, is the way to go forward on, on the life of spectrum. And that applies then to not just the new bands, which um, which has been um, the case in Spain, then think about that in the context of spectrum renewal, where in, in many markets, the renewal process is, is again used as a means of extracting value from the sunk investments we've already made, as opposed to actually allowing us to invest further with confidence in the, in the knowledge that what we already have in our networks can, can be used um, confidently going forward. So just that on, on the spectrum part, um, to two additional um, points to, to, bring, to, to bring. I just want to say on, on the on the SME part, just if I can, if I can just one additional um, build. I think we all, again, to Rita's point earlier, everyone's in violent agreement um, on the panel about the need for SMEs to, to digitalize. But I think one, one dimension that I would like to bring in, which applies to SMEs, it also applies to the infrastructure debate, is about the urgency of this. 
um, th there is a risk where by having 2030 targets that we think that all the, all of those targets can be met um, from 2025 onwards. But actually, the need to get this happening now um, is absolutely critical because this, this is the time where 5G and innovation, where experimentation is taking place and, and where small businesses can, can benefit from, from this and, and scale um, quickly. But if all that innovation and experimentation is taking place elsewhere, um, that the real benefits won't, won't accrue to Europe till much later and potentially not at all. So that's why, as well as having the long-term targets, which we applaud, it's the urgency of making very fast progress against those targets, especially for the SMEs that will be the drivers of economic growth in Europe. We all are aware of that. Um, that, that that's where the, the urgency of this needs to really come to the fore. Thank you, Ben. Um, Peter, I'm going to turn to you with a question from our audience member, a very specific question from Stefano Agnelli from EU Telsat, um, saying that the use of broadband satellite connectivity has dramatically increased in rural areas during COVID-19 crisis. How important are satellites to achieve the European Commission targets in terms of connectivity? Yeah, indeed, I think this will, uh, of course, continue, especially if we want to go uh, to rural areas. And uh, we can see actually satellite connections also already part of the 5G ecosystem because they play an important role to, to connect base stations that are really remote, where you can't bring cables easily. Uh, so they're already part of it. We have uh, standards that exist, uh, how this can be integrated with the, like a satellite interface in 5G. So this is all um, under development or already existing. And this should continue because, of course, when we're now moving towards full 5G targets and towards 2030, uh, that will be, of course, uh, part of the story and uh, can really play an important role. There are other uh, areas as well where satellite can play a role. For example, um, when you look at critical applications where you really need continuity, think about uh, automated cars where at one point there might not be coverage and then of course the backup system is also very very important and the satellite industry of course has a lot of experience to work with professional critical services so i think there is clearly a role to uh, to contribute and this is already the case of course in our projects uh, also in the 5g ppp and the upcoming partnership so yeah really looking forward to work with the satellite um, community Thank you, Peter, for clearing that one up. Um, another audience question, this time from Amelia Padarariu. Um, Rita, perhaps you could take this one. The EU is searching to improve connectivity links in the Western Balkans, uh, but this region has major infrastructure challenges. How does the EU plan to overcome this in contrast to searching to implement a connectivity agenda in the Balkans? Uh, so, I mean, this is something we've seen lots of the Western Balkan conferences and discussions um, about connectivity. Rita, what's your take on that? And also, I think you wanted to talk a little bit also about the necessity to spread skills in this area as well. Uh, yes, so my, my main reaction for skills was rather also within the EU context, but uh, indeed, uh, it's obviously very important that uh, uh, in the Western Balkan, which are uh, our neighbors, that uh, we support and help uh, regulators, operators, uh, governments, in this area to uh, to the extent possible also uh, work towards the same goals as we are working so so this is why we have the western balkan agenda and we are very happy with the cooperation as it also took place uh, last week and maybe uh, with if i may uh, on the digital skills and if i may also uh, on spectrum but for digital skills and smes i was actually grateful uh, to josiana to make the uh, link with the digital 
policy program. And so in that context, I think, uh, first of all, it's very important to signal that President von der Leyen in her speech uh, three weeks ago identified digital skills as a core issue, uh, which was basically uh, an issue for uh, European leaders themselves to take charge of. So uh, this is one of the elements that is, of course, uh, at the core of the, the possibility of Europe to develop and also to develop business cases and use cases. So uh, the, the good thing of skills and uh, SMEs is indeed they are mentioned in the uh, digital policy program, also with specific targets. And uh, the way we see that, and that's why I, I really like the opportunity to highlight that, is that um, it, this cooperation will take place on the basis of national roadmaps. So the digital policy program is clearly based on the idea that there will be European trajectories with European goals, but it will then be over to the member states to develop their national roadmaps. So this is a clear invitation to uh, the member states to see what they want to do uh, in the area of digital skills and SMEs to develop their, um, let's say, environment so that their member state meets the, uh, the European agenda. And uh, this will be clearly part of a collaborative process, which also gives every member state the uh, possibility to take into account its, um, its original uh, situation of departure. So for everybody who listens, uh, this is something to really keep an eye on. Um, so maybe uh, that to be said on the digital policy program and skills and SMEs. Now, with respect to spectrum, I think that uh, I hate to say, it, but it, it's another area where we are on the same page. Uh, the commission and, uh, and um, the two speakers, where we see that this needs to be more harmonized and also uh, at least it is important to take the edges off to uh, uh, get more closer to the uh, other areas in the world. Now, on, on this single market thought, uh, one thing that is very important if we look at it from the competition angle, that is that, um, uh, of course, if you talk about uh, elements like merger policy, there have never been uh, serious problems with respect to cross-border mergers. And um, funnily enough, we don't see the industry always looking for uh, cross-border and uh, multi-country use cases, which we would clearly uh, would like to encourage. Also in the area of spectrum, um, the, the, the experts among the audience will know that in the connectivity toolbox, the Commission has made a number of proposals with respect to also better use and a more harmonized use of spectrum and there in particular uh, we have been looking for cross-border use cases and uh, i would still repeat that call to the industry it cannot be that we are moving to the 2030 targets and that we will not have a, a much wider uh, possibility of having um, you know spectrum also being used on a cross-border basis so this call to have cross-border use cases is still outstanding and I would still uh, like to underline it. Daniel, let me come to you next. Thank you very much, Rita, for, for touching on all of those issues that have been raised so far. Um, Daniel, as well as uh, responding to Rita's comments there on mergers, I should say, in, in the chat, there's been a couple of people saying the U.S. situation isn't that great. There's bad connectivity in the U.S. and it's expensive. Uh, so perhaps you could react to that and indeed to, to what you've heard from, from the other speakers up to this. Yeah, thanks a lot. So um, there on, on the US one, I think this is, I think it's a clear picture. Well, I, I'm also a veteran in, in uh, European regulation and policy. And then 
if I really want don't want to be politically correct, the only thing which I miss here, rather than in other places around the world, that here it's somehow the elephant is in the room is the money. So, so the the whole thing is is the the picture I wanted to describe that this sector is in in decline, and that that doesn't have the ability to invest for these sector players. And if we have ambitious, and even if we don't have those ambitions, but if we have ambitions, and the sector is in really big decline, and it's I could I could cite the return on capital employed or or other measures, but maybe that. Maybe it wasn't the perfect one. Then, then there is and there is this investment gap. There's something has to be done. So I was not advocating to have maybe um, the U.S. prices or some of the U.S. coverage if somebody has experienced that. But but rather, as and I would cite again the analysts. So if if Europe would tackle the fragmentation and the regulation problem, which is mainly spectrum, then this situation, this investment landscape will be different. And Ben has cited one thing which I left out is, you know, this, you know, this, the, the spectrum license duration. That's already something what could change evaluation and what could change the investment landscape. So I would respond that for that uh, comment. And, and may, maybe just one more thing, not to monopolize on the time, because I think um, uh, uh, Carmen and others has also mentioned um, uh, Europe is kind of uh, a leading force in regulation. So I think there's a double side of this coin. I think I said it several times in other um, possibilities that, that uh, we as Europeans and more like the policy makers and, and regulators in Europe has a responsibility which is wider than Europe. Because globally, I know because I, I, I have to do that job as well, that, that operators and policymakers around the world always look at Europe, you know, what is the best practice? So we have this global responsibility. However, when we would have this call 10 years from now, I think we would be rather proud of having Europe in the top of the 5G or 6G race by then, rather than, you know, having uh, European regulation everywhere in the world. So I think the, the first one is more important. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Daniel. Um, and indeed, we spend a lot of time on these sorts of discussions comparing ourselves to the rest of the world. But of course, we need to get our own house in order first as well. Um, it is now, we've just got about 15 minutes left. So I'm going to allow you all each a round of wrap up thoughts, uh, raise anything you haven't had the chance to say so far. It's been really rapid and we've had a lot to try and cover, not least from the why, the how, where are the problems and how do you overcome them? I think we're all very much aligned on the why. It's the identifying the challenges and how to overcome them is probably the trickier part. Um, Karma, let me start with you. What has been your view? What are your takeaways? And what would you like to say as your leaving message? <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I had some data on, on the US, in fact, and, and in, in the United States, four out of 10 households do not have access to broadband connections. So. From my point of view, this is also very um, symbolic on all the uh, different aspects of this technological transformation. How can you be uh, leading a technological confrontation from a geopolitical point of view and then having all these internal challenges on the connectivity of your citizens? So, and, and that's interesting because this is something for the European Union, which is 
working a lot on how to harmonize this situation inside the European Union, how to set the rules inside the European Union. And uh, at the same time, they feel um, they, they don't want to be dragged into this bipolar confrontation that we are just witnessing from China and, and the US and the technological power of, of them both. So that's, from my point of view, the first point. The second point, well, then, if I may, I will then insist on this, on this just transition also for the digital uh, transformation so that we have all these um, infrastructure challenges that they have been already taken care of and they are working on. And then, of course, how can we set also the tone for making this transformation uh, inclusive? And this, we didn't talk about uh, artificial intelligence, but it's very much connected. How are we going to develop and how all, we are already discussing on how to make this uh, artificial intelligence from an ethical point of view also more representative on how the um, technological evolution of the European Union wants to go. So I think that's, that would be for me the, the closing up. Just thank you very much for having me here today. Thank you very much, Carmen. We really do appreciate you bringing your insights from a different perspective to the, the policy and the industry side. So thank you indeed. Peter, let me come to you. Uh, closing thoughts, key takeaways from you. With pleasure. I will leave, of course, the conclusion to Rita, but maybe just to, to add some, some thoughts on the 5G. So I think we have the challenge now really to invest, uh, of course, both in fixed and, and mobile, but uh, in terms of recovery. So really 5G is about the digital and green transition to enable this. Uh, it's key. And here we really need uh, in the next few years, of course, to, to use the next gen EU budget and the, the, the programs that we have. And here, maybe also coming back to Ben's thought on the on the right way to invest. So it's not only about covering with tens, one hundred thousand base stations everywhere. It's really to do the five G build right. So use the right bands, uh, provide really a step change for new uh, new quality, uh, and think about the um, yeah also the um, vertical opportunities for the industry. Um, really to enable these new ecosystems and campus networks with um, corridors, uh, of course, all stakeholders uh, on board and, and build this up together. Thank you, Peter. Jasan, I know you were already convinced that the need was there um, before you joined this discussion. Uh, what's your takeaway in terms of what the challenges are and the how to overcome them? Okay, so I took some notes whilst hearing other speakers. So indeed, some key takeaways is that, first of all, Europe shouldn't be obsessed only with um, Asia-US dichotomy, but we should really focus on our own stead, on, on the potential that we have as European Union to really lead. It's good, obviously, to take some good practices, but we have to look at our potential and our strengths that we can develop. And indeed, whilst the regulate... Hello? Sorry, Josanne, go ahead. Okay. So whilst the regulatory leadership is indeed important to continue building upon, indeed, investing in 5G, 6G and adequate connectivity is also very much important. So I believe we should 
really adopt a holistic approach along with the smart network and services joint undertaking and other examples how we can use EU funds to foster public-private partnerships and collaborations together so we'll move ahead. Otherwise, yes, indeed, Europe can support the growing demand for mobile connectivity, for example, from both the provider side and also the user side. And from the user side, it's indeed key not only to ensure inclusive connectivity, and yes, I do agree that we need to work upon inclusivity in all our policies, but also when it comes to the practical applications of 5G, for example, as I mentioned earlier, and this is very much important. And to have this trickle-down effect, a positive real effect, we should not only focus on the physical connectivity, which is indeed very much important, but also on skills, on empowering our citizens, our workers, our SMEs, our businesses, our public sector, on empowering everyone in our society to really transit in this, in this digital decade that we are, we will be working so much upon. Otherwise, the targets, the 2030 targets are key, and I look forward to working on those because we need to set targets. And uh, yes, I think that's all from my end. And let's keep on the discussion going. And let's not forget that if we really want to lead the way, we should have a variety of skills, not only the basic ones, but also high-end skills, because if we need people and uh, trained personnel and citizens to help us in this digital transition, we need experts on AI, on cybersecurity and other aspects. So let's remember that too, that when we speak about, about skills, we have to look at the wide range. Thank you for the discussion and the great takeaways by colleagues also and the questions from the audience. Thank you, Josanne. Indeed, creating a, a Europe not just of users, but also of designers. Um, and then we'll go indeed to the provider side. Daniel, your final thoughts, please. It's maybe just a quick summary. Uh, I might use Rita's um, definition, which is conditio uh, sine qua non. So the first one is, you know, connectivity is essential. We agree. The second one, I think that the ambitions are always good. So we are behind this, as Ben, ben said. The third one, what we try to advocate for the status quo, we will not get us to these ambitions even close. The change we need is, Rita mentioned funding. There, what is important for the members we represent that private should always come before public. Uh, and then on policy and regulation, as we discussed in Spectrum, where license duration, the set-asides, and the high reserve price, if we could forget all these, that would help um, the investment as well as the change of competition policy and last but not least the deployment rules so we are really uh, will work on the commission or try to support the commission to get the broadband cost reduction guidelines um, reviewed as soon as possible thank you thank you rita i i know since you've been nodding along with a lot of what your colleagues have been saying what would you like to add as your takeaway uh, the point is, I, I don't know when it's visible and not when I nod, but okay, apparently you've seen it. <laughs> I can't say. But, um, so, indeed, for, for me to take away, I mean, uh, it, it was a very interesting discussion. And uh, from where I am sitting, I think we, we need to listen to that uh, also with very much the public interest in mind. So that means that uh, 
you know, of course, there's a lot of debate possible on what is the public interest. But if we talk about, the, let's say, the shortage of money and the fact that maybe in the US there might be more uh, capital or funding available than in the EU, I mean, what seems to be a crucial filter is what Carmen uh, was also mentioned. Is this then delivering a better outcome for citizens and for businesses? And I think that that ought to be the decisive uh, criterion. So, uh, and this being said, um, I mean, we feel that, uh, of course, uh, money is a is a common challenge. Um, but um, it is also important to look at this um, with a factual mind and to see whether access to capital is indeed the biggest problem uh, right now in the European market. I mean, um, we see, for instance, that there are many developments taking place. Uh, you see the tower companies. You see also pension funds and others who have a much longer breath to finance also investment investments in connectivity. So um, certainly uh, acknowledge that funding is important, but uh, we also need to look at the facts and see where is it most needed. So um, also this point on uh, on um, uh, looking at uh, the, the from the public interest uh, is relevant, for instance, with respect to the industry spectrum. So we tend to think that uh, it might be a good thing uh, to also give a uh, spectrum to industry. And to me, also, the, cr the crucial criterion is what gets us to the connectivity targets as we have defined them and what gets us there as efficiently and effectively as possible. And that's, that's the debate. So also for specific issues like industry spectrum, it is important to see is it more productive or less productive to give out this uh, this spectrum to to industry and does it lead for instance to a wider deployment uh, uh, on the basis of which we are quicker able to fill in the gaps so uh, with this pleading for for um, the public interest i uh, would indeed say i've appreciated our discussion and certainly ready to continue listening to uh, the various interpretations also of what is the uh, public interest Thank you very much, Rita. Uh, I do appreciate that. And let's go, Ben, your last but not least. Uh, it's, it's a tricky position not to echo everything everybody else has said, but also you get the final word. Thank you. Uh, always a daunting position. So, yeah, let me say just a few reflections. So, I mean, what is great is the level of agreement. Uh, there is a, a lot of agreement on this panel about the, the need for a broad approach to digitization. That's both demand and supply. So it's not just about the infrastructure, it's about the demand as well. Um, and also making that sure that's fair and that the demand is not concentrated in the few, but actually is, is broadly spread and is accessible to all. So for me, that that is great that we have the, the, the agreement that that should happen. And again, pointed to research that we've done, we see a broad approach to digitalization measured through the DESI. If every country would get to 90 on the DESI, that could bring 1 trillion euros of economic growth to the European Union, a huge, a huge prize to go after. Um, so for me, that that's the, the great starting point. The question is, how do we do that? And it is a little bit of echoing what was previously said. Is, is the status quo for me doesn't doesn't get us there? So we have to say what needs to change and uh, how do we get there with a sense of urgency? Because if we if we don't act fast, those economic opportunities will be gone. They'll go to other regions of the world and they'll never be recaptured. And so and the last thing I'll say is that then how do we get there? I, I, just a response to what Rita just said. Um, I, I don't think further fragmentation of the connectivity sector through you know very localized uses of spectrum or um, splitting out or further splitting out different parts of the um, of the of the ecosystem is what we really need uh, we, we to ask the question why is there more cross-border 
um, consolidation. Well, our, our response would be until you get the, the market structure right in the in individual countries, there is no appetite to go cross-border because you're just putting two um, substandard operators together. We need to get the, the level of uh, performance right in, in each member state, and then you can think about cross-border. And further fragmentation is not the way to achieve that. Actually, we need to get, get more, more consolidation, not less. So with that in mind, hopefully clear that we, we all of support get a very ambitious target and the, the urgency to get there and the means to get there um, has to come through in the coming years. Thank you, Ben. Well, you've done a lovely job of doing my job there and in summing up what I was going to say. As a moderator, you never want too much agreement, but a good agreement on the aims of where you want to get there can also be really productive in terms of having a discussion about how to get there. So we were never going to solve this in, in, in an hour or so's panel. Uh, so let's keep the dialogue open. Thank you all of you as panelists very much for your input and your different perspectives. Thank you to the audience for your questions. I'm sorry we didn't get to all of them. Uh, some of them were quite technical some of them were too directed but we did take note of them and this event has been recorded so those of you asking whether you can watch the beginning if you missed it of course you can it's on the Euractiv YouTube channel as well as the website remember that you can join us again for more Euractiv debates following the hashtag EA debates and with that I wish you all a great afternoon